to uh, ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to encourage you to continue to be the loving and welcoming congregation that you always are. I'm sure you've noticed over the last month or so, um, we've had quite a, a good number of folks here in our Sunday morning assembly, especially um, 6.50 this morning. Um, you know, every week we, we've always had a lot of visitors, and so we want to make them feel welcome. And not that you don't already, but uh, I would encourage you to maybe, for some of you, it's stepping out of your comfort zone a little bit, but, uh, you know, introducing yourself and making people feel welcome and at home, so hopefully they'll plop here and stay here. Uh, there was a couple this morning I was talking with, and they, they'd been visiting, and they said, you know, it's, it's so refreshing because we get a lot of cards, and we've gotten a lot of responses from people that knew we came and visited and it just makes us feel good to know that we're welcome. So continue to do that, and uh, let's, let's be that warm, loving congregation I know we've always been. If you look at Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, it says, It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples had said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. I want you to focus for just a few moments on what the disciples asked. One asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Do you think the disciples had ever prayed before? Now remember, the three pillars of Judaism are prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, which makes sense why Jesus would approach those three topics in the Sermon on the Mount, because he did. So prayer is one of the big pillars of Judaism. Do you think that out of these disciples, not one of them had prayed before? You see, this is the gospel according to Chris. This is just my opinion, and I'll tell you that on the front end, but I believe that the reason they asked the question is because they saw something in Jesus' prayer life that was very different than what they had ever seen or experienced. They saw Jesus having a connection with the Father, and they said, Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us how to pray that way. Because imagine if you were one of the disciples, and you saw Jesus, say, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you were one of the disciples that didn't fall asleep, and you watched him as he prayed, and as Drops of sweat tinged with blood hit the ground and, and, and his soul was in agony because the cross was looming in the foreground. Imagine witnessing that. Imagine witnessing Jesus praying in agony. That would probably change you a little bit. To see someone experience prayer on that level would certainly alter our way of looking at prayer. I want to get your attention tonight when it comes to your prayer life because it is my belief that many Christians' prayer life falls well short of what it should be. I think there are a lot of Christians who don't have the prayer life that they should, and I, I make that assessment on two fronts. Number one, because many Christians have told me their prayer life is not what it should be, and number two, my prayer life is not always what it should be, and so I figure if I deal with it, then somebody else probably deals with it. And so we can talk about that a little bit tonight and get to the how of things, because you've heard me say before, Prayer is spiritual breathing. It keeps us alive spiritually. And, and, and while there's no disagreement uh, among us about that, it still doesn't really get to the how. I mean, what is involved in an effective prayer life? How do I make my prayer life better? I understand it's essential. 
I always hear the preacher say, you need to focus on reading your Bible more and praying more, but how, does, how do we do that? What does that look like? One thing I would say to begin with is that I don't believe our problems in prayer always has to do with the one that's praying. I think there are some people who have a dead faith and therefore they have a dead prayer life. I'm not talking about those. I think that many times the problem is not the prayer, it's the method by which the one who is doing the praying is using. Because all too often we pray the same old things about the same old things. And our prayer life becomes boring and stale. And when your prayer life is boring and stale, then you don't want to pray. And if you don't want to pray, then you don't pray. At least not with any kind of enthusiasm. And so we have the opportunity, the privilege really, to approach the creator of the universe, the almighty God, and we can't get excited about that. So what's the problem? Where's our deficiency? It's not wrong to pray about the same old things. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I pray for my children every night. Many of you do as well. I started that even before they were born. So I pray for my children every time I pray. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes the method that we use is not effective, or at least not as much as it could be. The problem isn't saying the same old things. The problem is that we tend to say the same old things about the same old things. We're talking about being in the presence of God, and yet we're bored to tears. It's not that we don't love God. It's not that we don't love what we're praying about. It's our method. At this point, you may be thinking, so, Chris, what else is there? I mean, how do I change the method? I mean, everybody knows there's only one way to pray. You put your hands together, you close your eyes, and you talk to God, right? Well, I mean, that is the gist of it. However, when we talk about prayer, we're not just talking about directives. We're not just talking about doing it better. We're talking about what is involved. And many of us are left reciting what the apostles said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first thing that I would suggest is this. To create space. You know, we, we treat prayer as, as simplistic, and, and in some ways it is. You hear people say, well, you know, you, the great thing about prayer is you can pray in line at the grocery store. And you can. You can pray on your drive to work, and that's great if you do. But at some point, we've got to create the space where we can get alone with God turning off the TV, our cell phone, the radio, any white noise that may be around us, and just get alone with God. Jesus did that. We see it over and over again. We see him exemplify exercising crowd control, where he broke away from the mob and from the masses, and he took a break from healing and preaching and teaching, and he got alone with the Father. He connected with God in solitude. And the world didn't fall apart around him, which shows us that our world won't fall apart either. If we take a break, if we slow down for a little bit and take a time out and get alone with God. And we create that space. Jesus said, go to a closet when you pray. The closet may be the only place that you find peace, but find a space. The space really isn't all that important as it is creating the opportunity to be alone with God. Whether that's out in the woods somewhere, whether it's locked in your bathroom, whatever it is, Create the space where you can turn the world off and turn on the communication with God. A second thing I would say is that prayer is work. 
Again, it's treated as simplistic sometimes, but that's not always the case. Prayer is work. James wrote, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And the word that he uses there for effective is, is a word from where we get our English word, energy. It's the word energeo. And it means to put forth power, to be operative, to work. It typically is rendered by the verb to work effectively, effectively or effectually or to be effectual. James 5.16 can be translated literally, the supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. Prayer is fervency, it's, it's determination, it's diligence, it's great effort. Many times, it's nothing more than a ritual or a routine because the only thing we engage in our prayer life is our lips. But there has to be a different sort of connection. We have to connect our hearts, our minds, and we have to work at this. So often we pray while we're rushing from one activity to another, or we pray at night when we're tired, when it's the last thing of the day and we're worn out and we're about to go to sleep, and so we don't have the, the focus like we should. So many times we're trying to squeeze it in at any possible moment so that we can check it off our list. But at some point we have to create the space, we have to get alone with God, and we have to realize that this is work. The prayer is not always simple. It's not always easy. I mean, how bad do you really want the things that you pray for? Do you really want your kids to be strong spiritually? Do you really want to be a better servant for the Lord? Do you really want a deeper relationship with God? Are you really concerned about the sin in your life? I mean, how much do you want what you pray for? How bad do you want it? If you want it bad enough, your prayers will be tempered with passion and intensity. You know, it's, it should tell us something that in times of terrible tragedy is when we seem to move closer to God or when our prayer life becomes more diligent. It's when we receive that devastating diagnosis that we tend to get closer to God. It's when we've fallen on hard times, whether financially or whatever, that we tend to, to draw closer to God. Are we doing that in, in the peaks of life as well, not just the valleys? Are we seeking Him when times are good? Are we, are we going to Him at regular intervals with passion and diligence and with great effort? Adversity has a way of drawing us closer to God. When life is spiraling out of control, we tend to turn to the only one that can bring us relief because we know He's our last option. If you look at Psalm 142, starting in verse 1, it reads, I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I declare my trouble before Him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. You can go on, but that's, that's a fervent prayer. It's a prayer where the entire fabric of the psalmist's life is engaged. Prayer is not always easy. It's not. It could not have been easy for Jesus to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, your will be done. When everything within him was crying out, there's got to be another way. It's not always easy to ask God, your will be done. To say, whatever it is, God, let your will be done. I may have told you this, but my father, for many years I prayed for his spiritual state. I prayed for his soul. I prayed that he would come to Christ. And I even prayed that, that God, whatever needs to happen to get him to that point. 
And you know, my, my father was baptized last year after having a heart attack, almost dying. To me, that was the answer to the prayer. Whatever it takes to wake you up, whatever it takes to get you there, even if it's tragic, even if it's suffering, even if it's adversity, those are hard prayers. That's where prayer takes work, and that's where prayer is really difficult at times. But it's not just about reciting a few lines before bedtime. It's not just about you know, moving your lips. It's not just about saying grace before a meal. We've got to get past the superficial level. We've got to go deeper. And that's the third thing that I would encourage us to do. Is seek to go beyond the surface. Many times our prayers stay on the surface. When you hear public prayers, many times it's, it's a prayer for rain. It's a prayer for, for God to guide, guard, and direct us, right? For Chris to have a ready recollection, to heal the sick. I mean, those aren't bad things to pray for. I'm not making fun of that. But how many times do we hear a prayer that, that says, Lord, come back. Come back quickly. That would solve a lot of our problems. That a lot of the things we pray about would all be solved if God would just send his son to come back. You know, when James talks about the effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, he uses Elijah the prophet as an example. And if you go back to Deuteronomy, God promised that he would give them rain for their seasons if they remained faithful. However, he also promised that he would withdraw or withhold rain if Israel chose to disobey. Elijah prays that it would not rain, and it did not rain. Because Elijah wasn't concerned about national comfort. We hear a lot of prayers for God to bless our nation. I have yet to hear anybody pray, God, please punish us. Whatever it takes to get us back into compliance. Whatever it takes to make us turn around as a nation, forgive us of our sins and punish us if that's what it takes to get us to turn back to you. See, Elijah prayed not for national comfort. He prayed for a famine. He prayed for it to not rain for an extended period of time, so that the people would become reliant on God again, because that was his most important concern, is that the people turn back to God. We tend to pray for comfort. I mean, let's face it, that's what we tend to pray for. Many of our prayers are focused on our comfort, our convenience, the stresses in life. And again, that's, that's not wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But how many prayers have been prayed under the guise of your will be done when truthfully we don't want God's will to be done. We want convenience and we want comfort. We want God's will to be done as long as that will agrees with my will. Again, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pray for comfort or convenience necessarily. However, if discipleship is all about dying to self or denying self, then our prayer life should reflect that. I would encourage you to pray scary prayers. God, help me to be more like Jesus. Help me to fully identify with Christ. That's a scary prayer, considering what Jesus endured. Praying for patience, understanding that God's probably not going to just bestow you with patience. You're probably going to go through some things that require you to learn patience, right? Pray scary prayers, understanding that the answer to that prayer may come through adversity. Get below the surface. 
Go ahead, keep praying for rain. Keep praying for your country. Keep praying for health. But also pray that Jesus would come back. And a, a final practical suggestion that I, would, that I would like to pass along is pray biblically. You know, it, it just makes sense to combine prayer and Bible study, doesn't it? I mean, we talk about, and we've talked about over the last year or so when approaching the Bible, we're looking at four key points. We're looking at observation, interpretation, meditation, and application. And when we talk about meditation, we're talking about reflecting on the text, making it, uh, before we get to application, looking at how this might apply to my life, asking God to, to help me with reason and logic to understand this passage. But if if the Bible is God's way of communicating to us and prayer is our lifeline to God, then it just makes sense that you would have this two-way communication and you would combine them, right? How many of you pray biblically? In other words, you study the Bible and you stop and you pray after you study a certain section or you study a certain part of it, asking God for wisdom, asking God to help you to discern, asking God to help you to make this application to your life. It just makes sense that we would combine the two. Paul said this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Pray for comprehension. Pray that you understand what it is that God is speaking to you and that you can do God's will. Paul prayed constantly for such things. You might remember Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. He wrote, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. I think we tend to be too narrow in our prayer life. And if we want to be more biblical about prayer, then we must pray for comprehension for certain spiritual truths. Like the psalmist who prayed, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. You see, prayer at church typically focuses on our worship. It focuses on the sick of the congregation, those who are members who are sick, and the cross, which again, nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, it needs to be present in our prayer life. At home, prayer is typically focused on our personal needs, the blessings for food, and once again, that's fine. But add to your prayer life meditation and prayer that stems from reading through scripture. You take Psalm 23, for instance, that first line, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Pause. Think about that as you read it. Pray about that. What, is, what, do, what does that mean? What are the implications of that in my life? It's just an example, but you use that and you say, help me to better understand what it means for the Lord to be my shepherd. Pray for understanding. Pray for comprehension. Think about all the ways that, that Jesus is a good shepherd. Pray for your shepherds who have been tasked with the responsibility of overseeing the souls of this congregation. If we read through the Psalms, we notice a certain word. It's the word Selah. 
and you see it several times as you read through the Psalms. Take Psalm 46, for instance. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake and its swelling pride. Selah. There's that word. Do you know what Selah means? It, it means simply pause. Stop. Take a time out. Think about what you just read. Meditate on that. Concentrate on that. What is being said here? Don't just glance over this. Don't just scan it. Really concentrate on what it means and let it sink in. Pray about it. Selah. You know, I, I think when you pray through the Bible, you'll start praying the Bible. You do that? You ever pray the Bible? We have some members here that do it when they lead a public prayer. It's a beautiful thing. When you pray the Bible, what you read should affect your prayer life. If you are an ardent studier of the Bible, then that should affect your prayer life. It changes the method and the tone of your prayers. The first Christians did it. Acts chapter 4. Verse 23 and following, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they lifted their voices to God and with one accord said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise and the peoples devise futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. They're quoting scripture. Do you quote scripture when you pray? We actually see this quite a bit throughout the Bible. People quoting scripture as they prayed to the one who gave them the scriptures. Praying scripture back to God helps us to focus, and it glorifies God. It demonstrates that the words that we are reading are taking hold. They're, they're dwelling richly within us. Again, our prayers tend to turn into a list of requests, don't they? I think the average Christian's prayer life tends to be just a list of requests. God, grant me this. God, please grant me this. And we go down the list. However, while that's not a bad thing necessarily, it's, it's easy to allow a, a list to overshadow other things, to crowd out other things. That, that list of things tends to dominate the content of our prayers at the exclusion of all else. Prayer is about much more than just asking God for stuff. It's about so much more than convenience or comfortability. It's not less than that, but it's, it's not all about that either. Praying Scripture and praying as we study Scripture helps us to internalize the words of our Lord as well as focus on other important matters in our life. I think a really good example of all of this is Epaphras. If you remember him, he's found in Colossians 4.12. Paul said this, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. I want to be a prayer warrior like Epaphras. I want to be someone who labors and struggles in prayer. 
That word for struggling or laboring in the Greek is where we get our English word agonize. When's the last time you agonized in your prayer life? For some of you, it it may be happening right now. It kind of depends on what we're going through, right? But no matter whether we're in a peak or a valley, we go to God to develop this relationship. I mean, we do realize who it is we're talking to, right? And so this is not just a routine or a ritual that only involves our lips. We're connecting our heart, our mind, and we're seeking something better. Not just the, the, the frivolous things around us, not just even the things that we deem important in this life, which they are, like our job, like our children, our family, and all, all that's great. But at the end of the day, what is our purpose in prayer? Is it seeking what God wants for our life? Because ultimately, that's what matters most. What is God's will for my life? And are we seeking that in our prayer? Now, we've got a series coming up at the first of next year where we're going to talk more about prayer and other spiritual disciplines. But hopefully this sets the stage a little bit and gets the ball rolling. I pray that Oldham Lane is a congregation dedicated to prayer because of all the things that we do here of all the things that we put the emphasis on of the many things that we are involved in whether an elder or a deacon or a staff member whatever it may be or a church member the only way we're going to accomplish greatness here at this congregation is through prayer we can use our own devices the elders can do a great job of 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 budgeting The deacons can do a great job in their work and being diligent to tie up all loose ends. You as a member can do a great job of going out there and and, and inviting people to church. But at the end of the day, the only way this congregation will be a success is if we are devoted to prayer. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to gather together, to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray, Lord, that as we leave this place and we go throughout the week, that we seek to be the church, that we invite, that we share the gospel, that we seek to make disciples. We pray that we ourselves will seek to grow as disciples, that this can be a place where we can feel at home and feel like family, where we can bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, love on one another. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to be a church that you would be proud of. And help us to be a praying church. There's more diligent, always seeking your will. Thank you for loving us and sending your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Luke's going to lead us in a song. If, if there is a need that you have tonight that we can help you with, I hope you feel comfortable to come and express that to us. Let us help you. And come now as we stand and as we sing.